Coming up on Chapter 62 of our podcast, you know how our friends always wish us safe travels? Oh, yes. Well, today we took their advice and drove to Condom for lunch. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about what the four musketeers and Armagnac have in common. This is Jeff and Julie moved to France during a global pandemic. Okay, so you know how I hate it when uh, somebody, some random person rolls down the window and now I got to talk French. Oh, were you on, on our main road? Well, here's what happened. I, I, Because uh, we're going to be putting up a big uh, banner to oppose this solar farm. And so I was kind of just uh, in the driveway looking at possible spots to put the big banner. And sure enough, a guy pulls up. He's got a huge dog in the back, and down goes the window. Oh man, now I got to speak French. So you know, I try to convince him that you know that convince him that didn't take much that I don't speak French. <laughs> and he kind of rolled his eyes, and because he was at, he he was asking me something like he kept uh, he kept uh, saying uh, and and I, you know, he was mumbling and he's sort of a country guy. And so I, okay, fine. I got out of my car, walked around to his window. Uh, <laughs> what? How old a fellow is this guy? He was, he was like my age, but he had this gravelly voice. Like I could, I, and he was speaking so quickly. <laughs> and finally I said, lentement s'il vous plaît. Avez-vous la cacade de cheval? Did he actually do he that? Actually, he lifted his leg and He kinda... got out of his car and pantomimed <laughs> pooping. <laughs> and uh, then he, he said, you know, and I, this is where I started to understand he was looking for horse manure because uh, Cindy, who uh, was the previous owner here, I guess she used to leave a sack of poo. <laughs> well, she had horses. Yeah, so. she had the horses. And I guess this guy, and he was really crestfallen when I told him that oh. I don't have any more horses oh. or I don't have any more poo for him. Oh. And uh, he was very upset, uh, but he understood and uh, I just uh, just put that in the column of probably the weirdest question I've ever been asked in my life. Well, I can't believe that we haven't run into this fella in the two years that we've been here. I'll bet you he drives by just hoping, hoping oh. to, you know, instead of coming and ringing the doorbell, just hoping to come right. into contact with and now. <laughs> yeah, ringing the doorbell. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Do you have poo? Do you have poo? <laughs> and I guess he would, what, use the poo for fertilizer? I mean, he had a wee, oh, yeah. a wee tiny car. Oh. I mean, you know, typically wouldn't you be driving around in a truck looking for poo? I, I don't know. You know what where, I should have said? Where would he have put the poo? You know what I should have said to what? him? I have plenty of dog poo. Are you interested in that? I could I could line you up for the next year on that one. No, but I think that horse manure is, yeah. is much better for the for the gardening and for growing vegetables and anyway. At least at least through the art of mime uh, and me knowing the, the occasional French word, we were able to figure it all out. But uh, had to send him on his way with a big frown on his face, unfortunately. Aww. Oh well, maybe one day we'll have horses. Speaking of horseshit, uh, <laughs> we we got two of the three emissions stickers for our car. It's as big as the Goodyear blimp. This sticker, 
And it's yeah, it's the size of a baseball. It's the size of a baseball. Yeah, it's the size of a baseball. And you have to put it on the lower right hand side of your windshield. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and remember to take a photo for the Facebook page. It is the single stupidest thing I think I've ever seen. So uh, we'll just do a quick recap on the significance of these stickers, numbered one to six, and. I think number one is the best emissions probably number. Probably an electric car. Numbers, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, you, you're right? probably right because yeah. our cars are, are, yeah, they're diesel, but they're, you know, they're low emission. Yes. And we're number two sticker. Yeah. Oh, boy, are we ever. Uh, <laughs> hey, we went from number two to number two. Do you, do you see yeah, what we did? Yeah, hey, that's... <laughs> But uh, so, the, you know, the, the original idea, I guess, is but it's so flawed because if you're going to Toulouse, they have a separate set of criteria for their sticker system as opposed to if you were going to Lyon and the times that you're allowed to drive with a number six sticker and and where M- more importantly, <laughs> where you can drive if you don't have the proper sticker. Oh, oh just... <laughs> but we only got two out of three. Yeah, I, I, that's the other thing. We we only got two out of the three cars that we have here. It's just I don't know. So now, now we're being one car doesn't have a sticker, and they they have you put it in what they call the windscreen, the windshield. So now there are three stickers that we have to have on our windshield, and one of them is the size of a freaking baseball. Yes. Yeah, I think they're trying, the, the the government is trying to get rid of the insurance little ticket that, that sits on the right-hand side. Yeah. I think they're, they're trying to get to, to remove that so that you don't have to put that on your windshield. Good Lord. Anyway, so and that there so there there could be three things. There could be the contrôle technique, which, That's right. which means that your older car is approved. There could be this emission sticker, and then your insurance sticker. So, yeah. and by the way, it's yellow. So if you have a nice, sharp-looking black car, it looks heinous, <laughs> heinous. You may as well have a taxi sign on the roof. <laughs> I don't know who comes up with this stuff. I'll tell you what, though. This is the kind of thing that factors into France's total unhappiness, which we're going to get into later on the show because the uh, top 21 happiest countries in the world were announced. And then, of course, the sad 20 not happy. But, I, yeah. you know. I, yeah. Is... Well, the minutia. The minutia makes it much more complicated to have a peaceful life in oh. this country. And another reason for that unhappiness is what's going on right now in in France. Oh, with, it's huge. With this proposed retirement age change. Okay, so so it's my understanding that they the reason that there's this uproar is they used an article in the law. It's Article forty nine three, um, which can push through this law, this new law. Uh, increasing the retirement age to 64 instead of 62 without it going to vote. Mm. So what happened this week is that there are many parties that compose the government. It's not like North America where there's two or three. Two or three, yeah. Um, And they they proposed a vote of non-confidence in the Macron government. And it narrowly passed. It was, I think they got 278 um, 
uh, votes of non of non confidence, and they they needed two eighty seven. Yeah, yeah, they would have needed two eighty seven. So eleven votes, mm-hmm. really. And so this is causing a huge uproar with the the well the unions, unions. the unions are trying to extort this vote. They're trying to uh, extort. The, this is the problem I have. I mean, okay, you did mention something that's questionably undemocratic in in terms of the way they're trying to push this through. But this was a campaign promise of the Macron government. I'm not a big, I'm not necessarily the biggest Macron fan, but this is something that he campaigned on saying that we, you know, as France and and the huge nut that France has with all of its social services, it has to be paid for somehow so that he's trying to expand the amount of revenue that comes into the country by increasing the age from 62 which is so low. Just a baby. You're just a, you're still sucking your thumb. <laughs> you probably have a soother, and you're and and whereas countries like Greece are at 67, and yeah. all they're asking for is it for it to go to 64. But the big problem that I have is this extortion. So in the in 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 the way of like Paris is an absolute uh, wasteland right now. Well, uh, the garbage collectors and workers uh, went on strike. And so the streets of Paris are just strewn with, with garbage and like stacked, like, like mm-hmm. meters high yeah. and in front of businesses mm-hmm. and restaurants. Well, and, and at some point it's going to be a health issue if it isn't already. So I think they really need to uh, – to, this is an essential service. To me, it's off limits. It's just off limits. And this has to be collected. It has to be shipped out of there. And think about that. If that, ha- if that continues into the summer, they're going to have a horrible, horrible tourism year and, uh, as if they needed another one. Right. Well, I think the, the mayor uh, of, of Paris – Gave a mandate so that they would uh, go back to work, but it's problematic because it's there's so much trash. Getting it collected in a timely fashion is very complicated, and making sure that there's a place to put the trash that's open is another issue. Yeah. So it's uh yeah it's 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 a problem. Yeah, big government. But you know what? The world does not have a lot of sympathy for the anti increase the age vote because 62 and there was an equal uproar this used to be 60 yes the retirement age was 60 yes and there was an equal uproar when they boosted it to 62 and i mean to to me the i think the average in the world is around 65 i would say that's accurate yeah and so you know you just don't get a lot and and from the people that we talk to who are still in the work life and kind of our age, they have no problem with it going to 64. And a lot of them don't want to retire, not that they have to, but won't be retiring at 62 if it stays. Right, right. So, yeah. Well, that's big government, but we've had our taste of little government recently. When when we moved to France, did you ever see yourself going to a council council meeting <laughs> in a commune that has four hundred less than four hundred inhabitants as a protester, as a protester, as an activist, as an activist? <laughs> yeah. So this uh, this is going back to our, our solar farm issue. Um, oh, don't call it a farm. You know, it is an industrial complex. It's not a farm. It it's not a park. It's a, no. it's an aberration. I, I stand corrected. Um, and the commune of Tremont, 
uh, was having their municipal council meeting, um, and they were to vote on whether or not they approve or disapprove of this project. Uh, and um, well, it was, you know, here's the thing: uh, when we first got wind of this, and and this is just a little tiny backstory on this quickly. When we first got wind of it. Uh, it, it was really literally something that flew through the wind because it was one neighbor talking to another neighbor uh, during a walk and discovered all this three weeks ago. Yeah. Whereas this project Less has been three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And this project has been in in discussions for well over a year. Mm-hmm. And sure, the mayor says, oh, well, we had an open thing about it and we were uh, a discussion and uh, Nobody here heard about it. No, no, it was it was really, really under the mm-hmm. radar, secretive. There's something that doesn't sit right with me with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But what happened is it galvanized the people that live in in this beautiful valley, uh, and this this uh, new collective formed and has been very proactive in getting the message out. And um, at the council meeting, um, which is a public uh, event, um, th- most of the collective, uh, Was which, there. which encompasses about 20 people, yeah. uh, showed up. And it was funny because they were expecting us. They were expecting us. I sensed a lot of nerves on that committee. Oh, the feet were w- wiggling and yeah. they were in their chairs and they knew all eyes were, were on them. And note and notice we were number one on the uh, schedule, on the uh, itinerary, because they wanted us the hell out of there. Yep. <laughs> and so uh, the mayor, a uh, female, um, read um, the proposal uh, and gave a state of the union uh, on what has been proposed and what has happened and said that, okay, now we need to vote. I think there are, including the mayor, 11 council members, and they had to vote on whether or not they uh, approve this construction. And one of the council members said, uh, this is so contentious, we would like this to be a secret ballot. And, and you know, there are two sides to this secret ballot coin. When I first heard it, I thought, you gutless wonders. You know, I'm thinking, oh, you can't, you can't stand up and have your vote counted and have your presence known on your vote. And then I got to thinking, uh, after Olivier mentioned, well, maybe, maybe they want to keep this vote private from the, the- others in the group and maybe the mayor. Could be. Could be. I, I think there. She's a very stern uh, woman, and uh, people might be a little um, intimidated, intimidated maybe. by her. Maybe. So, uh, so it, they they voted on that. Voted on a secret vote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't secret. That wasn't secret. No. no. <laughs> and they had, they had the ballot box. All ready to go, yeah. and one by one, it was like a movie of the week, you know. It was very dramatic. It was one by one that counselors would get up and deposit their in, in a sealed envelope sealed. Their, <laughs> their vote into this big glass box, and one by one they went up. Okay, everybody had completed their voting, and an, another fella got up got the bl- the glass box, put it on the table. Unlocked it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and started pulling out the envelopes. Yeah. Number one 
was for the project. And then we got nervous. We got really, really nervous. It was nail-biting. Yeah. Number two was against the project. Number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven, against the project. Number eight, for the project. But then it's all over. (laughs) (laughs) Number nine, 10, 11, boom. Yeah. And so the final vote was nine to two in opposition of the project. However, the vote doesn't really carry much weight because the ultimate arbiters of this decision are from the region. And that is something that happens down the road. They've got to do environmental studies. They've got to listen to uh, opposition. Yeah, but, but you know, I was trying to, to figure out, like I was looking at French law, which, oh my God, gives you a massive headache. And I was, if the commune says they don't want the construction, I'm, I'm, not understanding why it's the prefecture yeah. that can overrule that. What's the point of having a council that gives their opinion if it doesn't carry weight? Well, we did discover that a new law was adopted on March 10th, and the law stip- stipulates that this land that they are proposing for these solar complexes cannot be of a fertile nature. And for us, this is what we're what we're hoping will be the linchpin to our argument and will in the in the end uh, close down this project. That's what we're hoping for because it's in black and white. There's no way to read this in any other fashion. Yeah. So it was a small victory um, that the Tremont Municipal Council voted against this project. Um, but that's not stopping the collective. Um, no, no. Is, you know, more efforts are going to be made. Banners are being printed. People are going to the markets, getting signatures on petitions. So it's it's an ongoing thing. The more people that know about it, the more people that sign the petition, the better it will be. Solar power is great, but not mm. if not at the expense of fertile land that creates food. Yeah. There's so many other spots. There are so many spots for uh, solar energy. There's no need for this. So that's our that's our complaint, and uh, we will keep you posted. It's <laughs> yeah. going to be an ongoing thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, over the last couple of weeks, the uh, happiest countries of the world were announced, and this happens every year. This is you know, uh, and and, and uh, typically they take into account about six different criteria: uh, the effectiveness of the government uh, has a major influence on you know, on uh, how people feel about their happiness, income, health, close relationships, freedom, generosity, and the absence of corruption. Those are, that's Uh. kind of the basic criteria of this list. And man, Canada has really whittled itself out of the top 10. I mean, in 2019, Canada was number nine in in terms of oh, happiest countries in the world. Okay. And where's it now? 13. Okay. That's uh, a drop. Yeah, it's a drop. I think it was 14 even. It went down as far as 14 and now 13. But France, holy moly. Well, I think it's the unhappiest country in the EU. It, it probably is because countries that are... Okay, that's a good, that's a good one. Companies, countries that are ahead of France in the EU include... Belgium, Germany, Ireland, uh, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Norway, Sweden, Netherlands, Iceland, Denmark, and of course Finland has been number one uh, since the Stone Age in this happiest countries in the world. But so, yeah, that doesn't leave you a lot. Like Spain's not in here. 
Okay, and and Italy's not in here. So France finished ahead of Spain and Italy. Okay. Well, but do you notice the colder countries are happier? Do you notice that? I just yeah, kind of figured that out. That's pretty interesting. Well, one of the things I was talking with Humble and Fred about, because we, we ventured down this road on their podcast this week, was, and, and the topic of socialism came up. And I was sort of bemoaning how socialistic it is here in France in certain areas that are sort of crippling to things like achievement. It's almost impossible to achieve mm-hmm. any form of success in this country because of uh, punitive taxation. And uh, the administration here is just crippling and and there's no sort of motivation for purpose. But then Howard said, yeah, but take a look at the, the top eight or nine countries in the happiness quotient. And there's Norway, Sweden, Netherlands, Iceland, Denmark, Finland. They're all forms of socialistic governments. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure as you can just sort of start and stop with the, with with politics. Right. Is, is Sweden there? Oh, yeah. Sweden's here. Sweden's number six. And it's the I think it's the, the most taxed country. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but again, this is kind of a fuzzy uh, survey, isn't it? It's like how you feel. Well, there's a lot of how you feel, but the, there are a lot of um, uh, there, there's a lot of influence that does come from government policy in this. I there see. really there really is. Hmm. And uh, on its uh, on, on the happiness of, of the citizens. But, uh, yeah, United States is 15. So Canada is still ahead of the United States. Um, and France is 21 on this mm-hmm. list. I don't know. It's just, I, I can understand why people are not happy here. Um, I mean, you know, there are certain things that are just wonderful about France. And then there are certain things that you just. Well, it's because you're, you, I feel like you're always fighting something. Yeah. Like you get up in the morning and go, okay, what am I going to fight this time? Like what? Who am I going to? What do I have to confront? Whether yeah, yeah, whether it's the administration of mm-hmm. uh, of a card or this or that or the other, yeah, and um, it, it it is very difficult to navigate this country uh, when you're always, and that that was the whole purpose of us moving here, you know, just we just wanted to kind of hey relax, <laughs> yeah. not shovel snow, <laughs> yeah. have some fun. We're not shoveling snow, okay, we're but not shoveling we're snow. not exactly relaxing. No. Um, <laughs> But, you know, what we decided to do yesterday, which was I, – I, I'm really glad because you especially have really been working hard on this mm-hmm. solar project mm-hmm. with other members of our collective. Uh, you know, you're, you're helping to design press releases, petition wording, uh, all and, – and, you know, the, the – the media database. Yeah, the media database. We're also going to be putting up billboards. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our friends Olivier and Segaline have come up with these great flyers. So a lot of work has been done this last week. We just wanted to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Change of, of atmosphere and yeah. environment. And so it was nice to put to put my brain on park and drive to condom. <laughs> 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 How do you so it is exactly the spelling that, that yeah you know yeah. you see on the Trojan things yeah so uh, how do you pronounce it in, in well I think they pronounce it condon without the M without the M okay I think okay um, <laughs> but you know it it it's it's probably funny to them that English speakers are, are always like posing and taking selfies in front of their town sign you know well wow, that's like dildo in uh, Newfoundland. <laughs> Yeah, but it was it was great. There was this magnificent in the center in the old part. There was a magnificent. Uh, w- when was it built? It was built in ten eleven. That's 
crazy. It was built in 1011. And some of the ornate sculpture work around the entrance to this thing, I'll include it on the Facebook page, unbelievable. And we decided to eat at uh, Le Balcon. And there were there are three tables, three deuces on the yeah, on the. Yeah, because it's a narrow balcony. Very narrow balcony. So we were able to get one of those and just enjoyed a, a really nice lunch away from all this noise. And, and you had a view. You were staring. Staring at the cathedral. At the, yeah. Yeah. So the food was great, uh, and then um, we decided to drive a little bit after lunch. Well, wait a minute, though. Oh. I'm also going to include, because just in front of this cathedral, there are, beyond life-size, they're bigger than life-size, the Four Musketeers. And it's it's a beautiful sculpture of the Four Musketeers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I took a couple of shots of that, included on the Facebook page at Jeff and Julie Moved to France. And then we started diving into the significance. Why, why are the Four Musketeers here? Well, they were actually real people. Mm-hmm. I, I think we we just we know Alexandre Dumas' celebrated swashbuckling book, mm-hmm. but I know that that there was in past history uh, groups of men that joined to protect the king and to work for the king at the time back yeah. in the 1600s. 1600s, yeah. Um, what, what I also didn't know is that the region that we were in, which is the Gers region, um, is really well renowned for uh, a liqueur called. Armagnac. Oh, it's it's a brandy <laughs> very similar to cognac, uh, except you know different different town, right? Yes, <laughs> and, yes. And, and and slightly different tastes. Yes, and apparently D'Artagnan was fond of Armagnac, ah. and and brought it to the king's wedding. Um, oh. Yeah, and and always had a good supply of it because back in the day, it was used for medicinal purposes. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's the oldest eau de vie. That's what they call it. Like eau de vie mean uh, means water of life. It's it's the oldest one in 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 French history. Huh. It's seven hundred years old. Wow. It's it started with the Romans and then the bloody Romans <laughs> then there again. was an Ara- Arabic influence huh. and uh, it's it's been uh, part of the region ever since. So we as we sort of depart condom hmm, <laughs> easy. Uh, we notice that we're in Armagnac country. There are vines everywhere. Mm-hmm. And by the way, from Condom, you can see the Pyrenees. It's just staggeringly beautiful. And we thought, well, we're, we're on our way home. Well, why don't we? Why don't we take a, uh, a degustation if there's one available? Yep. And so we were driving around, and then we saw we saw a, a, a nice sign, and they said degustation and tours of the of the uh, of the uh, cellar. The cellar, a tour of the cellar, oh. <laughs> uh, and so we we drive in, and it's a pretty long drive. I would say it's at least a kilometer. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, to a beautiful property, and and we've got vines on each side of us, and we get there, and we look at this little little uh, barn like um, outbuilding. The door is open, and there you have it. There was a, a little place for us to go and and. See what they what they have to a little, offer. Little boutique. They had just finished lunch. They were just cleaning up from lunch. Uh, we got there just after two, and we discovered that not only do they sell Armagnac, but they sell specialty gins and vodkas and wine. Anyway, it was just fantastic. The owner himself, uh, Jean Luc Lapère, 
L-A-P-E-Y-R-E. He comes in. He was busy doing something. and uh, he, he was great. He was fantastic. Spoke but a little English. We're going to go back there. But <laughs> we were so fortuitous because he came in. He was out of breath. He goes, yeah, it's bottling day. And and we could hear. We could yeah, hear. Clink, 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 clink. And he said, after, after we do the testing, come on over and see. So... We enjoyed the uh, tasting and um, picked up uh, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I I mean, you enjoyed the 15-year-old Armagnac. Yeah, but next time I'm going to try the 25. (laughs) And what uh, Jean-Luc was saying was that um, it's it's called 15-year-old because that's the youngest varietal that's in that blend. So there are older mm-hmm. vintages as well. Right. And then tried tried some gin and picked up a pepper gin and some wine. And then what was the other thing that we bought? The uh, cream liqueur. Oh, it's, it's, it's coq au lait. Okay. Uh, so it, it, it kind of has the same look as a an Irish cream, cream liqueur. Um, but this one is made from vanilla. Salted caramel, Armagnac, and the milk from the cows next door. How colloquial could you possibly get? <laughs> it's amazing. The bottling is great. I, I think this guy really gets it. He's got real, really good branding, um, a really nice website. The property is impeccable, um, and his product is fantastic. Now, I noticed that there's all kind of signage inside the boutique about being an independent producer. What, yes. what, what was that all about? So he, this... Uh, domain um, is uh, vigneron indépendant, which means that every step of the process has to be done on the property. So, you know, from growing the grape to picking the grapes to processing the grapes to bottling, um, that all has to be done. And this independent vintners... Um, is a collection of people who do things in a very creative fashion. They're the, they're the artisans. And this this syndicate was formed uh, back in 1976, so it's not that old. And it now is comprised of 7,000 members. Holy! now Across France. And, and what are the sort of advantages of this collective? Marketing. Uh, it's an asset to be someone who is a, a creator of something that's integral. Um, there is, There are salons, what they call salons, which are probably, uh, would you call them trade shows when mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. in Paris? The the trade show for the uh, independent Vintners is the biggest one in the world that's open to the public. Mm. So they get, you know, marketing value by being united, but they're all creating something that they're very proud of. And the other interesting thing about Jean-Luc is he has events on the property. Yeah, he was he was saying he's going to send us an email. Uh, he's got, uh, I think it's June 14th and 15th of this year. They bring in music. They bring in, he brings other, other vintners in. Uh, I think there's one that's coming from the Alsatian region. Uh, and you can do wine tasting. You can do Armagnac tasting. And it's a, a celebration of, of summer and and fun and getting together. Um, so he, you know, he 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 was very proud of that, and I can't wait to see you know what he what he sends our way. Yeah, if you want to check uh, out the brand, it's La and then Hai H A I L L E. 
Uh, I asked him if he ships to Canada. He said, unfortunately, they've tried, but Canadian laws for, for bringing in or importing um, liquor are very, very stringent and complicated. So he is currently... He called it the mafia. He did. He called it the Canadian mafia. <laughs> He's not far off, I'll tell you. Yeah, he was explaining that apparently you have to you have, to have buyers. You got to have brokered buyers. Buyers before oh, you can yeah. ship, and it's, it's just really complicated. So unfortunately, uh, people who are, 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 are wanting to taste this will have to come to France. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and taste it. Um, so this was a very popular uh, liqueur for Armagnac for the musketeers. And this brings me to the French phrase of the day. Yay! My so, favorite part of the show. So we're going to do it a little differently today. Okay. Um, do you know what the motto was? All for one and one for all. All right. Here's your French test. Okay. What is it in French? Uh, toot per toot, a toot per toot. <laughs> Can you do that again? Toot per toot, a toot per toot. No. So, <laughs> it's all for one. Oh, toot per uh? Wait. Uh, pour That's it. That's it. <laughs> okay. Tous pour un, un pour tous. Okay. <laughs> or, or if it's the French government, it would be tous pour un, un pour moi. <laughs> <laughs> Very good French phrase of the day. And that wraps up chapter 62 of our podcast. Uh, <laughs> Next week on the show, we hope to travel about an hour north of our region to Benac et Cazenac. Yes, in the Dordogne region. Ah, okay. Yes. So these are two of France's most beautiful villages, officially. They feature a gorgeous castle. It's on the water of the Dordogne River. And uh, can't wait. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. And we will see you next Friday. Au revoir. Bye.